0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water and yield that yields its fruit in each season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers the wicked are not so they're like chaff that the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish the word of the lord our title for the next four weeks is and if you are if you've been in church for a while, this is actually a song. It's an old song, but the title of our series is going to be There's Going to Be a Revival in the Land. And I did on purpose what Jacqueline always asks me not to do, and I violated the English language for words. Because when we talk about revival, oftentimes the church will get excited when we begin to talk about revival. And what if we're not careful, what we secretly mean is... There's going to be revival, and my personal life is going to get better. And that's actually what we're looking for. Now, it is not wrong to want your personal life to get better. But what we want is for God to revive all. What we want is the blessing of my personal life getting better should immediately lead to the personal lives of those around me getting better. Amen? Amen. The Christian life is deeply personal, but it is never private. And we are always tempted to make of the gospel and make of the things of God health for our private life. We pray blessings on others, but we want our private lives to be blessed. And then we want God to bless others also so that I could keep my blessings. If God blesses me and then God blesses my neighbor... I don't have to give my blessings so that my neighbor gets blessed. And so we have this tendency, like, we pray for a promotion, which is a good thing to pray for, but also remember when you're praying for it, it also means somebody's not getting it. That also may be praying for it. This is a great message. Super encouraging. There's a way in which, how many have heard this phrase, you are more than... What that means is, and you've heard me say this before, but conquering in a fallen economy, conquering in the world of sinful flesh means, I win. Let's say it this way so everybody understands. The Giants win because the Jets lose. Good guys win Because bad guys lose. Blue, which is the color of revelation, wins. Because green, I can't really talk about green too much. But it's also like a fungus too, kind of. So it's however you want to look at it. But we understand winning, which the Giants do not. But we understand winning as something that happens because somebody else had to lose. That is the economy of the fallen kingdom we live in. There cannot be a winner in our lives if somebody else isn't losing. So when the Bible says that you are more than conquerors, it's saying that there is a way hidden within the fallen reality of life where people can win because other people have won, not because somebody has lost. There's a way to be blessed without it being at the expense of somebody else. There's a way to win without somebody else losing. The gospel, this is the story of the gospel. It's why Luke's gospel begins with the name of every politician nobody can pronounce, Because Luke is starting his gospel by listing all of the politicians of the day and saying, this person, born of a virgin that nobody knows about, that's hidden, that's cast aside, that no one knows exists, he's going to win in a way that these politicians have never known winning to be. He's going to win because he lost. He tramples down death by... Death. when we pray for blessings this is not exactly what it is we're looking for but there is a way where Jesus says if you want to find your life you know what you do lose it into the life of your neighbor say no to the selfish desire to be private and open up your heart to others the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say which is the greatest commandment Keep in mind, this is privatized faith. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, a second is like it. And it's interesting. He doesn't say the second is like it. He says a second is like it because he's saying the second commandment I'm about to say is actually part of the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and... Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Now, there are times where I think Jesus is looking at the Pharisees saying, man, if you treated your neighbors, if you gave your neighbors the grace you all give yourself, if you gave your neighbors the patience, you do something wrong and you say, I'm having a bad week. They do something wrong and we're calling the police. Like, this is how you're treating people. If you would just treat them... The way you treat yourself. But you know what's funny? When I read that this week, I feel like we're in a season where maybe it's different. Where when you hear love your neighbor the way that you love yourself, I feel like there's a good number of you in the room right now and probably even more watching. Say, I don't know if you want me to love others the way that I love myself, Pastor. Because I don't love myself. It would be better for the world if I didn't love my neighbor the way that I love myself, because then I would hate my neighbor the way that I hate myself. Then Psalm 1 comes along and starts with the word in English, blessed, in the Hebrew language, happy. Which right away, I, so, I looked it up and I, right away I was like, oh, we're going to talk about happiness? What's that? There's something, and there's really one thing that I want you to leave with today. It's just going to take a couple of hours to get there. (laughs) The righteous, first of all, understand this in Psalm 1 when it talks about the righteous and the wicked. This is where you have to do background work. Because in this psalm, the righteous and the wicked are not equated to the saved and the unsaved. The righteous and the wicked are both the people of Israel, okay? This is not about saved and unsaved people. This Psalm 1, righteous and wicked, are things that happen to the saved and the unsaved here. And what's happening is a large number of the people of Israel are now saddened, disillusioned, and confused because all the promises of God that he promised are not happening in their life. And so what they're doing is they're, they're escaping Torah wisdom, the wisdom of their, their sacred scriptures, and they're going to pagan sources for wisdom. And that's why David is writing, the righteous do not sit in the way of sinners. They don't, stand in the se- they don't sit in the seat of scoffers. He's saying that some of the people, some of the people of Israel, some of the people in the church, we could interpret that today, they are they are faithful, they're here, but they're, the, the, the reality of life versus the promises of God, there's such cognitive dissonance between them that they're starting to look elsewhere for revival. They're starting to look elsewhere for healing. They're starting to look elsewhere. They're trying to do other things to bring the feeling that they had prayed God would be able to give. And the psalmist is saying, this is not a healthy practice. We have to hang in there. What is the symptom? This is what I prayed this week. What is the symptom? How do I know, Lord, if I'm moving from one of the faithful people who is meditating on your word day and night to somebody who's starting to look elsewhere. And you see it in two very simple sentences in Psalm 1. The righteous are like trees that are planted by rivers of living water. And the wicked or those who are of the family of God but have now looked to other wisdom because they're frustrated with God. And please understand, I don't like the translations of righteous and wicked here. It would take way too long to describe the Hebrew translations, but it's not so divisive. It's, it, we could say people who are being wise and people who are being unwise. How do I know... If I've moved into the unwise category, the righteous or the wise, they're like people who are planted by streams of living water. And the unwise are like people where every time something happens, you realize you didn't have roots. And it's so easy to just move. It's so easy to try another job. So easy to try a different house. So easy to try a different spouse. So easy to try a different way of living. So easy to try a different church, a different religion, a different denomination. It's so easy. One of the things the Lord told me to say was this. Reasons, and you might want to write this down for further thought. Reasons without roots is reckless. Good reasons to go someplace or do something without roots in that place is reckless. A lot of us, myself included in many areas, we're making decisions because there's good reasons to. But that doesn't mean that there are holy roots within those reasons and some of the worst decisions we could make in our life are decisions that had good reasoning but no roots am i talking to anybody this morning let's do this do you know somebody that sounds like the person i'm talking about today let's do that let's have this like pretend gossip thing like this sermon is for you because i know you all know somebody who you pastor i have a friend who yes okay This sense that, and I've said it before, and I just want to simply repeat it, this sense where I don't feel at home in the building I live in, this sense that I don't feel at home in what I do with my time, talent, and treasure, this sense that I don't feel at home, you ready? In my own body. I wake up in this... Hunk of flesh, not hunk in, like, the cool, like, I look good way, hunk in the, like, sloppy bag of potatoes kind of way. I wake up in this, and I wake up and I sit up, and the first thoughts I have are, I don't feel connected even to myself. And as St. Augustine said, the wind blows, and the wicked or the unwise or those who are not at home They just go flying with every wind. And we understand the wind in that context to be, like it says in James, any wind and wave of doctrine that comes, you just jump on the next trending reality. You jump on the next thought. Somebody comes to your job, and they say Jesus. And you're like, oh, I'm a Christian too. And now you think God's calling you, like, out of the country to move someplace. Like, no, there's just every coincidence doesn't mean it's time to pack up. we got to be deeper than that. Sometimes in my life, in my life, the things that seemed the most out of tune with each other were the things that God was telling me. The things that seemed like they didn't line up to the plans that Jacqueline and I had seemed like what God was actually ended up doing in our life. So sometimes there's a harmonious note and it's like that's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes there's a sour note playing in your life because the tune of God is trying to make sour the tune that you're living by. But St. Augustine said, when you're not at home in yourself, even the wind of the Holy Spirit could drive you away. Because when the responsibilities that God places on your life hit, as Jesus said, and you don't have root deep within yourself, even the things of God can nudge you and move you. There have been more times that the blessings and responsibilities that God has given Jacqueline, that God has given me, that God has given us, have been more challenging than any of the things that we would say are spiritual warfare. You know, I could have a demonic dream and have an overseer text me a second later, but sometimes it's the blessings, like two of them that wake up in the morning and run around the house, that could be more challenging. Like demons, y'all are scary, but a two-year-old, don't even try. Not feeling... At home is a sign. Listen to me. Not that you're homeless, but that you're looking to things or allowing things to speak to you that you thought would be comforting. And they're, you ready? Almost comforting. And that almost is the most dangerous word I'll say in this sermon. When something is absolutely not comforting, we know that was a bad choice. It blew up in my face instantly. That's a blessing. That's a blessing when something you're doing messes up right away. It's when something you're doing was almost right. And it takes a long time to realize we went the wrong way. Like when we went north on the Taconic instead of south and we were talking so much I'm like, why do all these exits sound like Native American Indian names? This doesn't, it doesn't sound like we're getting closer to Yonkers. This is not, we went the wrong way and didn't know because we were having such a good conversation. It was something good that kept us from seeing we were going the wrong way. It's not as cut and dry as people make it out to be. so he says the righteous will prosper in all that they do and i read that and i'm like really though because if that's true the way i understand it it would seem that nobody i know is righteous no offense not everything i do prospers can you believe it Please don't be dismayed at this, but I make mistakes too. I know, you can't believe it. It's a shock. I've had a misstep or two in my life, Salem. It's the worst about becoming the pastor of a church that you grew up in. Everybody's like, yeah, we know. We had to pray about it when we heard that you were becoming the pastor because we know. We know the missteps. But then I read the verse that says... In season, you will bear fruit, but your leaf will never wither. This next part of what I'm going to say, this is all I ultimately want you to remember for today. This is for somebody. Let's look at Revelation, Revelation 22 the end of our Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And I will refrain from all temptations to preach right now because I want to say what is meant to be said for today. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, gosh, there's so much to say, with its 12 kinds of fruit, Yielding fruit each month, and then I'm just going to come down here just to be dramatic, because you all don't feel too dramatic right now, and I need drama in my life. The le- what, what is the healing of the nations? Say it again. The what of the tree? Not the fruit. Please hear this. not fruit the leaves that will never wither which means there are seasons in your life where you will not be bearing any fruit you will have no production coming from your life you will think you've gone deeply out of the way of God but it is not the fruit that heals the nations. It's the leaf that will never wither that brings healing to the life of somebody else. Which means in your most unproductive, fruitless moments, in the center of the lack of production of your life, your life if it comes into contact with another life will bring healing to that life with nothing good coming out of you just you think about that love your neighbor as yourself and many of us hate ourselves Because we don't think we're bearing fruit. And maybe you're not. But that is not what brings healing. You do. In your most fruitful state, you bring healing to people's lives. In your most unproductive, backwards, it's a good day if I could just get myself up off the couch kind of day. You will still bring healing to somebody else's life. We are taught to love ourselves based on metrics. I can see in my children that I have value. I can see in my church that I have value. I can see in my ministries. I can see in my education. I can see in the metrics and the results and the data coming back that I have value. Now I feel like I could heal somebody. Because it's been a good month. We've been productive. There was revenue this month. There was, we're, we're on the plus side of things emotionally. We're on the plus side of things mentally. We're on the plus side of things relationally. Okay, now if somebody comes into my life, I can bring healing to their life. And the answer to that is, yes, you can. But when you wake up on the days where you say we're on the negative side of it all, there's more expense than there is revenue. There's more stress than there is joy. There was more time spent fighting this week than there was rejoicing. (laughs) There was more time pulling up to your house and sitting in the car because you didn't want to go in, that kind of stuff going on. I know I'm not the only one who pulls up to the house and says, Lord, I'm going to go in there. Please come with me. What's that? You're saying stay out in this car a little bit longer because you have a word for me? I will tarry... It might as well be Tarrytown in my car because I'm going to tarry as long as I possibly can. You don't have to move to Tarrytown Because when you're completely fruitless, the leaf, which is you, is not withered. And it is the leaves that are for the healing of the nations. When you can re- recognize that, when you can believe that, When you can trust that, you can start to love your neighbor as yourself because here's what it doesn't say. It says that the righteous do not sit in the seat of or do not walk in the way of the wicked. But I love this line. Jesus does not walk in the way of sinners, but he stands in their way all the time. This is not a verse of isolation. This is not a verse saying, if you're on a good streak, if you're warmed up in the Lord, if you're having a season of fruit, that means that you are standing away from people who aren't. That's not what it means. It has to do with purpose and intention. When, when uh, Christians and the righteous, we don't purpose and intend to do. What foolishness wants us to do. But our job is to be on the same path as those who are because if the hem of his garment was not on the road where sickness was, then sickness wouldn't have been able to reach out and touch it and get healed. So the way that the enemy wants us to read Psalm 1 is get away from people who are being foolish. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Look into the law of the Lord. Look into Jesus Christ long enough, not just to see who he is, but to see who you are. And when that clicks, now go out to where all the foolishness is and just stand around because the next person that bumps into you is going to get healed. The psalm is a psalm of hope for the end. What I'm about to say, many of you, we've all wrestled in this before, and I want to put words to it. The psalm is a psalm of hope regarding the end. In the judgment is how it ends. So it's saying, Israel, you're going through it now, but don't start to bail on the Torah. Hang in there, because in the end, God is going to make this right. And then the, the, the gospel for the day Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is giving us, like, so the psalm is saying, here's hope for tomorrow. Jesus is saying, here's the work for today. Okay? And we tend to function in an exclusive category with this. We either hope for the end in a way where we say, it's, it, nothing's going to get better until Jesus comes back. And so I don't have the motivation to really try or do anything. Has anybody been there before? faced with things like social injustice. You're just like, what can we do? Faced with what's going on in the Middle East. It's like, what can we do? What can we do? And then Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself and good things will happen. So some of us get, listen to me, locked into hope in a negative way where we say, the end is going to be good, but there's nothing for me to actually do now. Then some of us get locked into work, and we say, just give me the things to do. Tell me what the right thing to do is. Tell me what the wisdom is right now, and I'll do it, and then I'll know that something good will happen. And we get locked into work-oriented resolve. So we're either stuck in hope, saying, I'm hoping for the future, but there's nothing to do now, or we get stuck in proverbialism, and we think, give me the, give me the A plus B, and I'll get us to the equal C. And this situation will be taken care of. None of those work by themselves. Hope for the future anchors the reason why you work today. You don't work today because there's guaranteed to be results today. You work today because there's a hope for tomorrow. And our work for today reminds ourselves, each other, and the world outside of these walls that there is hope for tomorrow. Our job is not to bring resolve into anybody's life. Our job is to remind them of hope. Well, how do we do that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do I love myself? Know that at your best and at your worst, your life, whether you know it or not, is bringing healing to somebody else's life. Your leaf, your body, your personhood, your agency, who you are has never not been productive to the Lord, only to you. you. He, this psalm is saying that pros, in all that he does, he prospers. It is saying that prosperity is waking up and being able to look at the metrics of your life and say, we are killing it right now. Let's go. But you know what else it's calling prosperity? Survival. Has anybody wanted to, have you ever sat there and just wanted somebody to say, hey, you got through today, the day today. You were prosperous. We live in a world where everybody's just bragging about what they accomplished. Look at our Halloween decorations. Look at how cool we are. We got pumpkins everywhere. This is amazing. Look at my house. It's so great. Me and my husband, are, we're all wearing flannel and going apple. This is amazing. All of those were my posts. We're looking at all these metrics, even like little baby ones, like just like basic Instagram. We're looking at all these metrics saying like, oh my God, I am not productive at all. And then you're saying, I wish somebody would just see that for me to wake up this morning and make it to nighttime was one of the greatest acts of God this side of the Mississippi, right? Right? And this psalm is saying, if you are in production mode, that is prosperous. And if you have the courage in a season where nothing is working to make it to the end of the day, Jesus is impressed with that. He is impressed with that. He sees you and he knows what an accomplishment that was. Even if nobody else does, he knows it was for you. He knows the pain you're walking through. He knows how hard it is to turn to the next hour and then the next hour and then the next hour with things piling up. He knows what that's like. He knows what that is like. He experienced that. He knows what you're walking through. And he's saying, I see you when you get to the end of the day. The world will never know the hero you were today to get to the end of the day. But this psalm is telling you you're prosperous. All I'm doing is barely getting back to zero. I wake up and the day goes to negative five and I barely get it back. Sometimes I get it to negative one by the end of the day. All my friends out there, apple picking, and I'm just trying to survive. And Jesus like, I know what it took for you to get from negative five to negative one. And somebody bumped into you today that was at negative eight. And you will never know that they just bounced up to negative one with you because you were humble. You were low to the ground. You were honest. You were saying, no one sees me, but I'm going through it. And the Holy Spirit said, I see you. The Holy Spirit sees you. Your guardian angel sees you. Read the Bible. That's a real thing. We see you. And your life was as healing for other people today as all them people apple picking. That's how you can love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you are at your worst self, your leaf is not withering it's not dying. You you might not be in the season for bearing fruit, but you are always in the season for bringing healing to somebody else's life. That's revival. Revival is not bigger houses, more money, more cars, more clothes. Revival is letting people know that tomorrow is worth waking up to. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Worship team can come on up. Ian, can you put up the last verse of Psalm 1, verse 6? It says, Quickly become one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible this week. Look at it carefully. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will what? What will perish? The what of the wicked? What doesn't it say? It doesn't say the wicked will perish. Let it sit. This is why Jesus is more than a conqueror. Because he can destroy the wickedness in the wicked. So that they become the righteous. You want to see proof of that? I'm looking at a lot of proof of that. Except Jacqueline. She was always righteous. (laughs) The way of the wicked will perish. He will kill the things that are killing us. Making us want to kill each other. What we all need for revival is not 12, 12 hour services in a row, and the people said, Amen. What we need is for the way of the wicked in me to perish at the Lord's table. What I need for revival is for Christianity to not just be something you do, but something that kills you. That kills the way of the wicked in you. So that there's only the righteous. That's the life we're living right now. Anybody who says to themselves, I still have wickedness in me, I'm doing it wrong, that's wrong. He is slowly destroying the way of the wicked in you. He will never harm you at all. He will never harm you at all. He'll hurt you, but he won't harm you. You'll go through pain, but he doesn't make you suffer. Evil does, but he doesn't. Let him hurt you, he won't harm you. His hurt heals, it's growing pains not harmful pains. He waited. It says it crystal clear in Scripture. It said when Judas, when Satan had entered Judas, then Jesus got on his hands and knees and washed Judas' feet. He waited until Judas was inhabited by wickedness, and then he washed the wickedness right out of him what might he need to put to death in you today for revival in your life to come tomorrow the kind of revival where the people around you will know that something new has happened in you and something new is happening in them same old grind tomorrow, same old complaints tomorrow, same old grumbling tomorrow. Maybe not. Let him put something to death in you today. Not everything. Something. So that tomorrow it's a shade different. A nudge. A click. A baby step. Different. Let him do that. Does it hurt? Yes. But do you grow? Yes. Does your heart widen? Yes. Lord Jesus, it was on the night when you were betrayed that you decided to destroy the way of the wicked. You said, see, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinful men. And you walked into that betrayal and you met it with a holy kiss. When you said your name, everyone coming to get you fell to the ground. And you picked them back up so that they could continue to do what they were doing. Because you were walking down the way of the wicked in the opposite direction, healing every brick on that road. Walking backwards through time, healing every brick on that road. Walking through every moment of all of our lives healing every brick on that road thank you that we don't have to bear fruit all the time that is an exhausting exhausting thought thank you that even in a season of being fruitless we are still healing to the world around us remind us of that Speak that into our lives like you spoke that into my life last night, like you spoke that into my life with my son. Speak that into our lives. I pray this week that this church would have hundreds of those moments where they crawl into the darkness and see the moon shining in full strength, lighting up the ancient ruins so that we can see that you are rebuilding everything and that we are useful, that we have use in us, that we matter to the kingdom, especially when we're in our worst, and humble and low to the ground, that is when we can say to somebody else, get on your hands and knees, look, there's light shining into this darkness. I thank you for people who have spoken into my life when they were down and out, reminding me that it's only the low that can see the light. So I thank you that people are going through it right now, Father God, because they can see the light. thank you for the people who are standing upright because they can help pick people up. And I thank you for the people who are down on the ground in this season because they can remind each other of the light. I thank you that we can work together as a body. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Descend on us also and show us that it's okay to crawl into our darkness that we are valuable there, anointed there, able to bring healing there, and not just able to, we are bringing healing there whether we know it or not. Salem, Theo did not know he brought healing into my life. He was just crawling around the darkness. You might never know, but you are touching people's lives every day, every day. You are touching so many lives every day. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. You're welcome to come. I'm going to ask Elder George to stand here. I'm going to ask Elder Bill if he would stand over here. Come and receive. And when you come to the front, just ask the Lord, what way are you putting to death today? And say yes to it. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.